Welcome everyone to a special edition of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to the voice actor of Young Gohan and Young Goku, Stephanie Nadoli. How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah. Down here in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. How are you doing? I'm New good. Zealand, right? Yep. You look very happy, which is very. which makes my job easier. <laughs> I'm ready to go. You're ready to go. <laughs> I know we have this time difference, but we really appreciate you getting up so early on your end. <laughs> That's all right. No problem. No problem. I'm an early riser, so I don't mind Good. at all. Great. So tell yeah. me how you got into voice acting. How what I got was... into voice acting. That's one of the most popular questions I get, actually. Yeah. Um, I'll take you back just a little bit with a little history. Um, as a child, I um, was already mimicking voices and characters, cartoon voices and things like that. At a very young age, uh, when I got my first tape recorder, my cassette recorder, I was probably about six or seven, about six or seven years old. And um, I was absolutely captivated and fascinated by it. And I would record myself talking, singing, my family, my babysitter. I would make up shows uh, with different characters with some friends of mine when I got older into middle school. And I was already coming up with these unique voices as well as mimicking voices as, as a child. And I was doing it for fun. I just thought it was funny, you know, and then we did the prank phone calls and I'd call my friends and change my voice and on my voice machine, a recorder and things like that. And I was really just doing it because I thought it was fun and it was funny and it was entertaining, you know. And um, so I didn't even think about it being a career one day. I was always into my singing and and performing and things like that. And I knew I was going to go into show business. And thankfully, I was able to do so. And it's, it's my livelihood. But the actual story behind getting actually into voice acting as a career, as a professional, started out when I was singing um, with a Grammy award-winning polka band out of Denton, Texas called Brave Combo. And they do a lot of world music and polka music. Um, a really amazing, amazing. They've been around for over over 40 years now, I think. So, um, or close to that. But I had been, I had met them through the Vince Vance and the Valiant Showman I was working with as uh, when I turned 18, I joined my first band locally. And then I immediately got this audition for that band. And I started meeting people in the industry and I ended up in the studio with this, this Brave Combo band who was doing some music for a show called Cyborgs, and it was through Funimation, which was a very small company at the time. And I met the producer and director of Dragon Ball Z there. Of course, I didn't know exactly what that show was at the time. And um, he heard me singing and he heard me voicing some different things. And he said, do you know, do you voice act at all? And I said, well, I didn't think about it, but I guess I do. And we exchanged information. And um, when he brought the, the dubbing of the Dragon Ball Z series down from Vancouver, Canada, down to the Fort Worth, Texas area, um it was who you knew and um by reference only for the auditions and fortunately he remembered me and thought I'd be a good candidate to try out for some of the roles and so I showed up for the audition tried out for what I thought were the female you know what I thought it'd be for you know selected for a female role but they actually actually preferred me to do uh you know young young Gohan like a young boy voice and I guess they liked what they heard and they just kind of said, make it kind of raspy and sound like a little boy. And then I was cast. And then it was from there, it's been history. And I've been able to, you know, expand my career at the company and do other voices and Goku when they picked up the Dragon Ball series. So that's kind of all how it happened. You know, I started out singing and um, then it just kind of went from there. And it, it was really kind of a who, you know, thing because I didn't have an agent at the time or anything that mm. so worked out. And I, I didn't even realize how big or popular or, how um, outrageously crazy fa famous the show is. It, I mean, over in Japan, it was already a huge deal. And uh, so I learned a lot about anime through being cast as Gohan and Goku. Each guy and baby drums. Because 
I'd imagine that it it would be mind-boggling now to look back on it to see how huge it is and and because at the time you're probably just thinking oh okay this is just going to be a job right well yeah i mean that's that's the benefit is um you know anything and everything i was interested in my whole life involves my voice whether it be Mm. you know mostly singing singing backups singing on albums jingles parodies writing producing um novelty stuff things like that so i mean i knew at an extremely young age um as soon as i mean barely talking i knew i just loved music most of my parents loved music and we we had a lot of music and records and things like that uh around and i was fascinated by it and was you know constantly listening to the radio uh, singing i took piano lessons i was able to play a little bit by ear and that was actually not a good thing because i couldn't i ended up not being able to really read music per se I couldn't just sit down and play a piece. I'd have to like figure it out and practice it. But a lot of times I was just playing by ear. My piano teachers were picking up on it and they're like, you're not reading. <laughs> but um, yeah, so singing started the whole thing. So anything with a voice, um, thank God I had it lost it. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I wasn't singing or voicing characters. I, I, I just can't imagine not having that. But so I'm very blessed and grateful to be able to do what I love and be able to make a living out of it and entertain people around me that's. That's always been a goal of mine. You know, I would put on shows as a little kid for my parents and, you know, on the, you know, the fireplace with the hairbrush microphone and things like that. Got into dancing, theater. I mean, anything I could do that involves show business, performing, entertaining, making people laugh, comedy, improv. Just that's what I was always, always gravitated towards. That's awesome. So with Gohan, did they give you any direction? in terms of when you went in for the audition, like what was, um, the, what only, was the process? <clears throat> well, the only direction they gave me at the very beginning at the actual audition, it was that I was at a, on a podium with a microphone and there was like a, it was like a line of judges. It was, it was pretty, um, pretty tough. I mean, it was, uh, but you know, there was three people there at the time, the, the director, and then a couple of other people that had worked for the, for the company were also making selections as they were going to be some of doing some of the directing. But I instantly, you know, just gravitated towards the female characters as far as prepping and reading the, the scripts before I walked into audition. And, you know, they quickly diverted me to this, you know, young boy, you know, voice that they were wanting me to come up with. And so, yes, they did. They directed me there. But then once I was cast, which was so exciting because it was this whole new project, this whole new avenue for my career that I didn't even realize was going to blow up like it did. But um, when I first came in to record, you know, we kind of worked on settling on what what the actual voice was going to sound like. And then from then on, because, you know, I was I wasn't recording daily or sometimes not even weekly or monthly. It would depend on the episodes we were working on and the the, the line count. And the deadlines for when they were trying to put these things together. And this was a long time ago. This was early 1999. <clears throat> and um, so, you know, things were done a little, you know, differently back then. Technology has definitely advanced quite a bit. But um, but at the time, you know, we would go into a booth with headphones and a script. And it was a padded booth with a door. And then we had a window that to which we could have some eye contact with the director. And the the, the first few episodes or the first few uh I guess you call them sessions, um, you know, where I come in and record um, was when we just, you know, define the voice. And then once, uh, thankfully, I'm a good mimic. So when I come in the next time, which would be either a week or a month or two later, they would play, a, uh, the director would play a reference of the voice that I had come up with from the beginning into my 
headphones. And then, of course, I could mimic myself. And then from then on, once once I started recording regularly, I, I knew exactly where to go within my, into my throat with the voice to produce that sound. So um, that's kind of how it all got started. And then uh, we started with the Ginyu Saga and Dragon Ball Z, finished the entire series, came back and did one through 47 or 54 after we picked up uh, the Dragon Ball um, property where I was cast as kid Goku, which is Gohan's father as a boy. And um, fortunately, I was able to make it sound different through the delivery of the character and the characterization um, to make them sound different enough that they could sound alike because they're related. So they were good with that. They, I don't even think I had to audition technically for Goku because they thought that that would just be a good match. And so that's kind of how it all started and how we d- jumped into it. And um, so, yeah, and I, and I didn't know anything about anime at the time at all. So I definitely over time learned a lot about the show and you know, the plot lines and things like that because the director would say, okay, here, here you are here and this is what's going on. And then they'd have three imagine or three beeps in your head and the imaginary fourth beep would be where you spoke. And if you didn't get it right, you could do it again and they could actually magically push it back or place it where it needs to go. So over time, I got really quick, really quick at it and uh, very efficient. And even even now it's even crazier. It's like the computer instead of, you know, an actual rewind, stop, play, you know, process. Because was it hard trying to sync your voice with the moving picture? Oh, yes. Um, the not really. I mean, that was really that, that was how it was done. There was a like I said, there was a window with a uh, actual television, like the old style boom. You know, I don't know what they're called, but the big <laughs> t- TV with it that comes way out. You know, it's not the flat screens or anything that like they have today, but it would be in a window in front of where I was standing in the booth on the outside of the booth. And uh, we were definitely um, supposed to match the mouth flaps. And what's helped me, and I didn't realize at the time is I'm a singer. And so I'm, I'm into like various rhythms and I can hear different, you know, beats and rhythms and pauses and things like that. So that became, uh, that was not really a big obstacle for me because I was able to watch the screen and get into the character visually, which was really helped the acting because you kind of see your character on the screen. Um, and and by watching, you could see kind of what what was going around on around you. What is it higher stakes? Is it kind of a casual read or what? You know, and the, another good thing is once you see it once. You can on automatically give it another go based on what you saw and then you can do two or three of them at a time and then the director would slide it into place if it needed to be done again we would do it again but they um for efficiency's sake they would just let me take a stab at it to just just go for it because it, sometimes they'll just nail it on the first shot and then they can move on to the next one and so we would just move from line to line and not record with others around us it was just one character at a time one session at a time that's how it was done back then mm, interesting yeah and so we just match the flaps and then and then every once in a while, the director would need to alter the line or add or subtract one or two words that they could do on the spot. And the, dire- the director had that liberty. And uh, I would offer, if they asked me, I would offer an idea if they thought it was, you know, hey, how about we take this word out or whatever. But uh, I always, you know, paid very close attention to the director and took direction from them um, and just let them kind of call the shots. And it just it just de- developed into this amazing thing, and I, I got to be really, I got developed some really great relationships with the people at the at the company, and a lot of the directors were actually voice actors themselves, so they understood what it was like to be on that side of the, the table, whether it was directing or voice acting, and so 
Uh, yeah, I was. I always thought it'd be kind of fun to direct. I, I did end up getting some directing opportunities for some of the themes, the Dragon Ball Japanese themes that were uh, translated into English. In fact, they had translator, a translator or two there at the company that were Japanese and they knew English and they would help um, take the animation theme and, and um, transfer it over to English. And then me and Carl Finch from Brave Combo got together and we were able to record some of these themes and um, look at the lyrics and make them sound like they would, and if they make them rhyme and things like that to make them into a, an English version of the Japanese themes. And I did the opening and closing, closing ones for Kitty Gray I did sign our bye-bye for Yu Yu Hakusho, and I did, um, I think, Indelible Sin for the case-closed property. So I, it was really neat to be able to infiltrate with my singing voice with the same company to be able to do some things with my singing voice, which was my first passion always. Yeah, yeah. And you had access to a studio as well, right there. Right. It was, they had their studio. Funimation uh, slowly grew. They, they, you know, they started with one, with one um, booth, one director one adr director and they just kind of had this small company and they ended up just growing and then over time they took over uh, you know all these um other parts of the office building and they just kept growing and growing and whenever they rent the others would rent their rent would run out Funimation would take over and say hey we want to want this and they just kept growing and growing next thing you know we had two and we had studio a b and c so uh the company could take on different properties and also work on the same properties in multiple uh you know, stations in multiple, you know, rooms with the booth and all of the gear was there. And so it just grew and grew and grew. And it's, it's bigger than ever now. It's just, I mean, I've kind of, it's kind of outgrown everything. It's, I think Sony even owns the company now and they're now located in Flower Mound, Texas, which is a little bit more North. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really grown like crazy two decades, you know? So. And it'll keep on going as well. It's one of those oh, things I, that I, transcends I anime. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think they mostly do Japanese anime now, but you know, there's other studios and some people, you know, work out of their homes with, um, with the technology. I've got my own microphone and yeah, yeah. Got my, my sound engineer, Dan Bradford, who assists me with anything from auditioning to recording my Wonderbot animals narratives for the YouTube channel that I'm working on now. And, um, we can send the files through the, through the, through the email. And I'm hoping to learn how to do that myself. I really need to be a little more self-contained so that I can, work on doing things like that on my own and get on online and get online with some, you know, some voice companies or voice work or free freelancing type stuff, whether it be singing or voicing. And uh, I'm hoping to learn that side of the business. Um, to me, it's like Greek. It's like, I don't get it at all. <laughs> I mean, I can do basics. I can do email and I can, you know, you know, social media, things like that and yeah. upload different things and files and pictures, but I can't really, I haven't been able to uh, learn how to actually record myself, edit, produce it, name the file. You know, there's just little things like that, that I'm still, I still need to learn how to do. And I'm looking forward to that. You probably just need to shadow Dan. Just watch what he's doing day in, day out. Yeah. Just steal, steal his ideas. <laughs> oh yes, I will. Yeah. I watch him. I sit down and some of it's just like snipping, copying, pasting, copying, pasting and things like that. And I just watch him and he's like, and he's, I've done a little bit of it. I've dabbled a little bit in of it and a little bit of it, but I, I definitely need a lot more. Training, mm. training, time for training. <laughs> how hard, how does it hurt your voice if you do it for too long? Oh, the, the Gohan uh, or Goku voice? It doesn't necessarily hurt so much when I voice Goku 
East Kyer baby trunks. But when I was doing the cell saga with Super Saiyan Gohan, that was yeah. extremely trying on the. Voice. I was going to ask you about that specific saga yeah. because obviously Gohan <laughs> is at the forefront. For right, a and he's screaming and screaming and yelling and powering up and blasting and Kamehameha waves and yeah, I mean, that was pretty grueling stuff. Um, fortunately, like I said, being a, a vocalist in a in a band, I was working every weekend, singing in clubs, fundraisers, parties, weddings, trade shows, conventions, doing things like that. Uh, so my voice had uh, I had some chops built up from from working regularly as a vocalist, and. Um, over time, I think my voice actually lowered, um, not just from age, but from singing a lot and voicing those characters, you know, which are much lower, especially Super Saiyan Gohan. Um, you know, he's just, let's do this. Ah! You know, it's like crazy, um, insane, you know, so it sounded like a man, you know, I, and I, you know, I took it on and I was like, I can do that. I can do this, you know, and fortunately I was able to get good direction and follow that direction and try to be the the toughest, most Clint Eastwood type character that I could encompass in, through my voice. And um, yes, it, there were some grueling times there where I was coming in more than once a week, sometimes three days at a time. And um, but honestly, you know, fortunately, I had the chops because I was constantly using my voice. I was a sales rep at the time uh, for a few years as well. So I was constantly using my voice with that on and off the phone and in and out of you know businesses and things. So um, what I would do is just rest my voice drink a lot of water and get a lot of sleep, a really good night's sleep and lots of water and not speaking a whole lot at the end of the session was how I just geared back up for the next one. And I was able to, to pull it off. And, but yeah, there were times when I was in pain, I would have to take a Tylenol or, you know, an aspirin or something every once in a while. But, but for the most part, I got used to it. It just became kind of like second nature, you know, how much, how much time in advance would they let you know? So say with Gohan and the cell saga, did you know, that you were going to be at the forefront at the, at the end of that saga and be like, Hey, like Gohan kind of takes the mantle from Goku. Oh no. I mean, it, we took it one step at a time. It was literally one scene at a time. I really didn't, I couldn't, I mean, unless the director decided to kind of give me a little bit of the feedback on what was about to happen. Um, it was literally, you know, moment by moment, episode by episode, watching what's going on. And then, following the story through the dialogue and from having the script, you know, printed out in front of me, I could kind of look ahead and, and um, every once in a while, it would be helpful when the director would play a little bit of what had already been recorded, say from other characters in the scene to kind of set it up and allow me to encompass and convey, you know, my response to it through the script and through the acting. And so that would also help if, if, uh, if the director you know, wasn't successful in setting it up just through his, you know, direction, we would go back. And if there were other characters that had already recorded the scene, they would play that in my headphones to give me an idea of what's going on. That way I could really grasp, you know, how I was to voice that particular scene. And so that was very helpful to me as well. So I would just pay attention and listen and, and just take a stab at it. And then they would just kind of say, okay, basically scream as long as you physically can. And they would kind of work with that. And fortunately, we were able to save the, the the tough screams and the really grueling work for the end of the session, for the end of the day, or for the end of that particular two, three, four hours or whatever that I was called in to do. And uh, so that was helpful, too. So then I would just blow out the voice at the end and then 
get in my car, listen to music and not speak <laughs> for a while and get some good rest and, and drink a lot of water. And I was good to go the next morning. Did you, did you have a particular moment that would be your favorite in terms of the voice acting you did? Um, there were several, um, that different the, with the different characters. I mean, I know that, um, I really, really enjoyed voicing Goku, Kid Goku and Dragon Ball. He was just so innocent and it was so slapstick funny that I just really embraced it. I just love to laugh and make people laugh. So I had really, truly enjoyed voicing him, especially when he was super young and he was training with Master Roshi and um, he didn't know boys from girls. He didn't know about, you know, a whole lot of real life uh, other than running around in the woods and fishing for his food and and, he, and I don't, he definitely didn't know his own strength. I mean, he he could do just about anything. And he was just fearless. And it was just really refreshing to take on that character and kind of be the little, the cool little boy hero that I could never be in real life, you know? So um, so I, I loved a lot of that. And like I said, the comedic stuff really stood out for me as far as enjoying the work and actually embracing that character. Um, then obviously the, you know, the, the Gohan, um, he did mostly, uh, Gohan as a kid mostly did a lot of reactions. He didn't have a whole lot of lines. So he kind of like was in the background for a lot of the time. And then when he finally unleashed in the Cell Saga, that was definitely another like high point for me and my career as a voice actress. And I hear a lot of feedback at the conventions with the face-to-face -face or online when people reach out to me on my fan mail or um, in my social media fan page and voice actors page that um, that's that's some of their favorite, whether whether it be Kid Goku with Dragon Ball or the Cell Saga with Dragon Ball Z with Gohan, that that was a turning point for my character and for my voice acting in, in general. And so I definitely hear a lot of feedback. And that's that tends to be probably the most uh, embraced and um, where, you know, the fans actually like, oh, my gosh, Super Saiyan Gohan when he defeats Cell with one arm, you know, that some of them actually... Some of the fans come up and tell me that it got them through hard times and they um, you know, were bullied at school or, you know, they had just, you know, thought about suicide or they were struggling and that they were able to embrace that show and those characters to help to get them through some really tough times. And so that's really near and dear to my heart when I hear feedback that through my work, somehow I've been able to touch, you know, human lives that are struggling and trying to get through life and they can take that break, turn the show on and take a break from life and just really get into the show and you know, empower them and give them some strength, you know, some confidence to do what it is they have to face. So probably the most, you know, standout stuff was definitely the Cell Saga go on. And it was the most grueling, but it was also the most trying and the most fulfilling to be able to really encompass that role and to be able to achieve that sound, to really sound like a man, you know, being a female was like, wow, <laughs> I didn't even realize I could do that <laughs> until we got in there and got in the trenches and, and we're... We're doing the doing the work. I mean, it's a testament to how good you are because I thought the original voice actor for Gohan would be a male. I was like, when I found out that it was a female, I was like, oh my gosh! But I was definitely amazing. ready to take on whatever once I once I realized I could, you know, really truly sound like a male, whether it be a little boy or a, a teen. Uh, I was ready to keep on. Hey, I could, you know, if you want me to try to be Gohan from here on out, let's go for it. But the directors decided to, uh, after Cell Saga, to recast the role as Gohan as an adult mm. uh, with a with Kyle Bear, who is a male. And I get it. I understand it. You know, and, uh, something I thought that was really cool is uh, Funimation was always really keen on 
making sure that every character, every voice was completely different and that they didn't, you know, Goku and Gohan get sound a little bit alike with the inflections and some of the sounds and the vocal sounds, but um, they were very particular about that. So in fact, when I got the book, the role of East Kai, it was totally random. I was already there doing another um, session for, you know, Gohan and the director's like, you know, we, we think we know who we want for this particular character. And like I said, this was a long time ago when there were um, not as many actors and the company was smaller. They said, hey, try this character and see what, see what take, what's your take on it? And so they said, hey, here's some East Kai. And I'm, so they showed me a picture of the character and we looked at some lines and I came up with the wackiest, most over the top, melodramatic, older, mature woman voice that I could come up with. And it was just completely hilarious. Sounded nothing like Goku or Gohan. And they cast me. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, that's it. You know, and it was just this, oh, I'm the queen and the queen shall win the gold. Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously nothing like Goku. I don't even know where that voice came from. It was just some crazy, wacky voice that came up with. They loved it. Awesome. It's probably maybe six six to eight episodes that I voiced East Kai. But it was such a, it's just so cool to 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 come up with these, this, these voices. And then, you know, a lot of times um, at the time, there were sessions where, while I was already there and other, or other characters, uh, voice actors would come in and we would do what we call Walla, where were the background voices, the villages with the women um, and men in the background, the crowds and babies crying, women screaming. You know, we would kind of uh, all get in the booth at the same time and then just do several takes of that. So when you get like two or three people in the booth at one time doing the same scene over with different sounds like, oh, oh, oh or running away, it sounded like a whole crowd of people. And so they would just loop it and just stack it. And so we were, it was fun oh. to kind of do some of those scenes too. And, um, and that was that, that was the, how they uh, made it, made it sound like there was a, you know, a bunch of people in this, in the background and they could mimic that. So that was kind of fun. So being able to get in there and just kind of throw in some background voices. Like, I think I was like a, a villager woman in a Dragon Ball episode and I channeled my, um, my Polish uh, great grandmother, and um, for some reason, that just seemed like a good voice to pick for this particular villager. And she was only in one episode, but she was like, ah, your Uncle Randy passed away last November. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and then I ended up seeing it put together and it was like Goku was talking to this villager woman, this old woman. And I was in the same scene with myself. It was really kooky, crazy. A lot of fun. Well, how come how come you were recast and after Dragon Ball Z Kai? How come they oh, didn't yes, keep that, you on? I think that was 2011. I believe that was um, the director just uh, had been working. I hadn't done a whole lot at, around that time from 2008 on. It was pretty much other other properties in the company was just growing and, and different people were taking on different roles and uh, whether they'd be voice actors, directors um, and different roles in the business side of things. And I think that they just made decisions based on some of the newer actors they had worked with. Um, and I think, I think Linda Young was recast as uh, in her role as Frieza and then Tiffany Vollmer, who was the original Bulma was also recast. So I guess there was just some kind of a creative thing there with the, I don't know if it was differences or exactly what happened, but um, yeah, I just, that, that kind of came out of left field. I didn't even know it had happened. Like nobody even reached out to me to, because I asked, I asked Linda um, the same question, and she said the same thing that it was a bit of a curveball. Like she wasn't. It, yeah, it was. Either. It was. I mean, I found out through my fans 
all of a sudden I got this onslaught of emails and fan mail and what happened? Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a different voice. It sounds more like a girl. What are we do? What are they doing? Why aren't you there? And I said, I don't even know what's going on. You know, I was just living my life and um, singing on the weekends and, you know, doing some promotions and demonstrations. And I was working as a sales rep for a few years and I had no idea that, that anybody really, anybody was recast to be honest. So, um, yeah, that was very, very, uh, painful to go through that even now not being in super and um not really working at all at the company um i just i don't know if i got blacklisted or if i got sideways with someone um, certainly wasn't intended because my 100 percent of my heart and soul was in the work mm. and, um, even though i was going through a lot of things in my private life and personal life which we all do we go through struggles um you know when i got to work it was all about you know focusing on the character and leaving all that outside until you get done with your session so yeah that was crazy um yeah, I get a, I get that question a lot. So it's hard to wrap my brain around. I mean, yeah, because there's all these rumors what, online as well, and these things can kind of take on a whole narrative of their own. And so it was yeah, just, I mean, yeah. I don't like to believe anything I read on the internet, to be right. quite honest. Because it's like, who really knows the real truth behind anything? I mean, in Texas, is a right to work state. So there, you can be hired and fired for without even being given a reason. It's just kind of how it works. And being self employed contract labor, you know, it could just be, you know, just swept out, you know, so, um, Oh, yeah. really? No, I didn't realize I it. definitely don't want to get involved with all of the, any, if there's anything negative or any, no, like, no, 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 of course, of or course. popular contests and people hiring their friends, whatever's going on. I don't, I really, I just have just kind of had to close the door on it because I want to remain professional Yeah, yeah. and just can't say something nice. Don't say anything at all. Kind of attitude. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but, but I'm very grateful for what I have been able to do there. And I hope this, you know, hope to do more. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's been great, I suppose, for you in terms of interacting with the fans. I mean, you go to a lot of those Comic-Con type events, yeah. sure, and meet the fans. Yeah, yeah, that's that's had a kind of a resurgence here lately. And, um, you know, the pandemic has definitely um, made it difficult in my line of work, uh, whether it be performing live, going into a studio somewhere to record or um, appear at conventions. I mean, several of them were canceled. And I say several, it was actually countless conventions and even in my um, show band my band Moonglass band we had to cancel a lot of shows between March 2020 through even into September and we just did a our first live show last month right before Halloween and um, it was amazing we were all back on the stage together and it was just greatness but it's just it's just been difficult but um but yeah the conventions are coming back there we did some virtual conventions there's um a there's a there's something called Cameo. It's like an app that I'm going to be involved with where you set up a, a, a demo video and people can actually purchase a visit with you online, like a virtual one-on-one, -on -one, like kind of an interview thing. Yeah. Linda told me about that. that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a cool, I've done it's some a cool appearances. concept. Yeah. The in-person live stuff is great. I mean, whether it's a small game shop, comic, bo comic book thing, or to a big giant convention of all sizes, it's my favorite part of what I do for sure is get FaceTime with the, the fans and hear the feedback and, answer the questions meet meet the fans who now have children and are watching all of the the shows the dragon ball dragon ball z series all over again with their kids and so that's really fun to see all of that in person but you know social distancing mask you know what we need to do but um it's definitely my favorite part of what i do is getting into and out in front of the people in front of the fans and just chatting with them some of them get nervous some of them get real giddy and it's so humbling really it's it's an honor I, I anytime i can appear and 
and be a guest and do good things, you know, but put it, put a good energy out in the universe. You know, it's, it's wonderful. And it all comes back to you, you know, what you put out there, you know, comes back. It does. It does. Have yeah. you done any of those conventions overseas or is it just all been in I America? Have. I no. have actually been to New Zealand. Yeah, I thought you had. I thought you had. I was thinking, I'm sure she's been here at one of the events. I think it was Armageddon, wasn't it? It was Armageddon, and it was 2002, April 2002. I brought a friend of mine, my most favorite girlfriend of mine, and we had the time of our lives. We actually, at the time, Armageddon had partnered with Supernova, so most of the guests, not all of them, but most, were hired to come out and appear at both events. They were like a weekend apart. So we were able to, to be transported from either New Zealand to, you know, Sydney, Australia or different parts of Melbourne or Brisbane. <clears throat> I know that uh, the first one I did overseas was New Zealand. It was Auckland and yeah. it was Armageddon and it was a blast. Um, wow. I mean, not just the event itself, but to meet the other guests, to do um, radio interviews, things like we're doing to promote it. Uh, I was able to visit a couple of uh, children's hospitals where some of these oh, children wow. were extremely ill and some were terminal. And um, we were able to come in and, you know, I know Peter Mayhew, who is the voice of Chewbacca, was at that convention. And we did a lot of these little appearances together, being that we were both from Texas, both in the USA. And um, that was just crazy awesome, heartwarming, you know, to see these these kids and bring the smile to their faces and when they're suffering so much, you know, and um we did some fun things for different uh, radio stations and television shows for all ages. And um, then I able to have some time to run around and see the, the beautiful country and um, go out to eat and try different cuisines. I went to like a, a comedy club one night there and I met some just some the, the staff of these conventions were just amazing. And they were so accommodating and hospitable and were like, yeah, do you want to go here? Okay, let's see the Black Sand Beaches. Let's go here and jump in the car and go see them. they the, take you there. The, absolutely, yeah. And then that, So then you make new friends, you know? And then you see some of the same people at both conventions because a lot of the staff work for both. Oh, and, uh, right. Okay. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Because I, I was always they, wondering in, in terms of, you know, when you get the opportunity to go overseas to a convention, how much of it is planned in advance and then how much, how much of it is just you just wing it? Right. Because was there much control in terms of you have to be here this time for this long Mm -hmm. and you have free time at this point or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. A lot of planning goes into the overseas trips, um, especially because um, not just the event itself and the times and uh, they just set up transportation. um, What time they're going to pick us up at the hotel? Where's the hotel? Where's the venue? Is it close? Can we walk? Do we need a bus? What kind of transit do we need? Um, So that's usually set up in advance and sent over. There's kind of like a, a basic itinerary sent over so you can see kind of what's going to go on. And then you, then you, the, the, somebody's in charge of setting up excursions for the guests. And then they, at that point they say, okay, this will be this much money or, you know, we can cover transportation. And if you want to go to this one, it's this much, whether it be a wine tasting, um, maybe visit a, a, an animal sanctuary or a zoo, you know, which was definitely a big highlight for me because I absolutely adore animals. And so seeing the koala bears, I mean, I always had my video camera and I just, I was just, I know they just lay there and they sleep and they eat, you know, the eucalyptus and that's all they do. But it was just to me being from the USA, we don't have koala bears, we don't have kangaroos, you know? So I was just videotaping everything, just mesmerized. 
And, um, and then sometimes we go on a boat ride or a dinner cruise. Uh, you get to know the other guests, um, snap pictures with your, your favorite guests, walk around the expo if there's time. Um, and then going over to, to a couple of places. I know it was Sydney, Australia was where I went to that first time. And then I was able to return in 2004 uh, to Wellington, New Zealand. And then we went to Melbourne and Brisbane for the Supernova that year. And then the 10 year anniversary of Supernova was 2000. Oh, when was that? 2018. Oh my gosh, the years are flying by. I think it was 2012, actually. And I was able to go back to Australia. That one was just Australia, though. That was just Supernova. So I don't know if they've changed the relationships. I don't know exactly what happened there. I'm not even sure if there's conventions over in new zealand but i would definitely be interested they, in they, yeah yeah uh, i did actually speak to linda because i i believe she yeah. hasn't been and she'd really like to go but i think what they Absolutely. usually do is when they organize these um conventions is they try to basically uh integrate both australia and new zealand if they can because it's well, easier yes. that way right because you kind right. of come down australia and, and new zealand are quite close. close yeah yeah, mm-hmm. so it's it's a good way to implement it. Usually, that's what they do. I think they do the same with even concerts as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's just all about timing in terms of when a convention's in New Zealand and when it's in Australia. And scheduling, yeah. logis- logistics, traveling type stuff needs to be all worked out. But I would definitely yeah, yeah. come back. New Zealand is definitely by far the most amazing trip for me. Um, I like Australia as well, but something about New Zealand, I. It wasn't even just how beautiful it was, but the people were so friendly, so accommodating. And it was, that's how I was raised, you know, in the South, you know, we, we, we're, we don't know a stranger, you know, we're just friendly to everybody, you know, and, and I just really embraced that and appreciate that they embraced me. So I'd love to come back. And I, I was able to actually run around a little bit there. I actually rented a car. Holy cow, driving on the wrong, uh, I say the wrong side, the other side of the, the street. The other side of the road, I guess yeah. we actually, to you guys, drive on the wrong side. But I was able to go to Rotorua, I think. Oh, and yes. And like the, the hot um, springs, I guess yep. that, that they call you, you soak in the hot, the natural hot water. And then I did a mud bath. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And then I was able to go visit the um, the man who put the whole thing together. He invited me over to meet his whole family, five kids running around. And we had a barbecue and it was just great. It was just making connections, you know, and just, I just want to, I want to come back. Have me back, New Zealand. I'll see if I can, uh, I'll see if I can tee it up. Cause I know a few people that organize the Armageddon type events. So I'll right. see if I can make it happen for you. I'd love to come with Linda too. Linda and I are friends. We actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I did tell her that I'm like, oh yeah, you do need to come. You probably came just at the height of, I think, cause obviously New Zealand is synonymous with Lord of the Rings. So like oh yes, there were definitely some people there. Yeah, at, at the convention I met from that show, absolutely very cool. Uh, yes, so it's 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 very big. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I can yeah. pull some strings for you. Once uh, this pandemic, it, once this pandemic's all over. Which and is, what another fun thing that I did in 2012 when I came back was one of the destinations for the second the second destination for the supernova was in Perth. Ah, yes. It was was a far west Australia, very remote. Very isolated. And I was able, okay, so that's like the furthest I've ever been. Like that's almost exactly halfway around the whole world. Yeah. From Dallas, Texas, like that, like Perth is like the furthest I could possibly be (laughs) from (laughs) 
home was Perth. And uh, it was it was amazing. But to be there and then, you know, we were able to get out on the water with a, somebody had a, a boat or a yacht and it was just amazing. But to be in Perth, like and then one of the, the staff, his name's Roy. He was great. I he remembered me and I remembered him. He actually we actually jumped in the car and he took me and um, my guests that I had at the time to the Indian Ocean. We oh, were able wow. to like, put our feet in the Indian Ocean, which is crazy cool. <laughs> I mean, being in the U.S., you know, we have the Pacific and the Atlantic, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, there's, yeah. there's the Caribbean. But to be, yeah, to walk in the Indian, touch the water in the Indian Ocean was like huge highlight. Did you get photos? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yes, good. I, have, I have my camera at all times. And of course, now that we have our cell phones, we have our own you know, camera on our cell phone to capture moments and video and things like that. So, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, it was really, really, really cool. That's, that's and cool. the black sand beaches I saw in New Zealand and that was right at sunset. It was captivating, just beautiful. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that we, um, we take for granted here in New Zealand. I, I didn't realize that until I, I've been to the States once I went to Seattle um, oh, I am, Seattle. Yeah, okay. I, actually, I actually was meant to go this year uh, to Texas, but COVID didn't happen. Uh, COVID happened, so that didn't. Oh, didn't you gotta come! You gotta come down to Texas, yeehaw! Yeehaw! How you doing? <laughs> I've heard a lot of people from LA are moving to Texas. Oh, there's. <laughs> it's kind of like a. I don't want to say like a little LA, but there's definitely a lot of film, radio, print. Uh, there's a lot of agencies. I'm definitely wanting to get back in with a, uh, a new agent for my voiceover, you know, so that I can, you know, try to continue to, to, you know, embrace as much work as I can get uh, as a voice actor. Um, and then, you know, they're shooting films here. There are TV shows. Uh, Shreveport, Louisiana is only a couple hours away. They do two or three hours away and they do some things there as well. So there's some little, little things. Austin, Texas is also a big, big music uh, Dallas and Allison have a great music uh, industry um, mm. as well as some of the acting. And uh, I'm actually going to try to explore some of the other companies down in Houston and Austin to see if they need any voice actors and if I can audition for some roles down there at their companies. That, that, that's good because that opens a lot more opportunities for you, right? Because yes. I suppose there's quite a few people out there that don't really necessarily want to move to LA. Right. Um, I, I kind of missed that chance. I mean, you know, I lost my mom suddenly in 1999 and she was, it was very crazy. She was only 51. And that was kind of when I think I was 26 or so. And I was, uh, that just crushed me. I was actually considering moving to either Nashville to try to pursue country music as a country recording artist or pop. And, um, and then I was also considering, uh, you know, I had not settled down. I hadn't married. I hadn't, you know, I was still kind of young, Thought I would take off and move to LA. And I've had so many people at these conventions when they talk to me, either other voice actors on panels that we would share. And they're like, you got to get to LA, you know, you, this, you know, you need to, you can really be working like a lot, like all the time. And I think I kind of missed that chance when everything kind of fell apart in my personal life with my mom. And, and uh, I, I, I just found myself being extremely attached to where I was. And I moved around a lot all growing up. And so I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to set my roots and just stay put. And I embraced my brother and his family and they're kind of my home base now. And my father's in Indiana. So uh, I, I think, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't really a, a path, the path of the journey that was meant for me. And that's fine. I've embraced that. Um, and like I said, what we were talking about, you know, you can also send files and record things um, 
over, you know, to overseas or all over the world, just in the comfort of your home or at a studio. So uh, I was able to take on the role of a KO for OKKO for Cartoon Network. And I, I did go to LA a couple times to record for that when it was Lakewood Plaza Turbo and when it was picked up in, uh, in their Cartoon Network. And I was able to go in person and record with all the other cast members, but that's a non-anime show. So they would animate around your voice. And that was really a neat opportunity. I think I did eight episodes of that. And then they did some changes and recast the role to a local person. But nowadays, you know, there's a lot more opportunity there and a lot more technology available to embrace working remotely. And with the pandemic, well, what better time to embrace that and to go down that avenue? Yeah, I'm, I suppose if there's one positive you can take from COVID, it's that it's going to fast track a lot of this remote-based working, I think. That was mm. always probably a thing, but it'll probably probably be, uh, become a big thing I think going yeah, so yeah, that may stick a lot of opportunities will arise from it. Right. And it's interesting too, with this COVID thing, um, it's, it's just, it's very terrifying and, and very, very sad, but, and some people they've lost work completely. Some people are working more. Um, I know waiter waiters and waitresses, they're staffing them less because they can't seat every table. And I've heard some feedback that they're making even more money and then some people working from home are making more money they're not driving around as much they're not their expenses are lower you know um for show business and for me personally live entertainment just came to a screeching halt um for six or seven months um if not longer and you know i haven't really even been able to book my band at a lot of the repeat venues because they are no longer featuring entertainment due to the covid mm. so um i've been obviously embracing more of this voice acting which actually you know it always boggled my mind that I, I thought my singing and live performance and things like that would put me on the map as more, you know, more of a big thing. But actually the voice acting is, I guess it's just that it's a, it's a more unique field and a more unique talent as opposed to, you know, not, if, I guess there's a lot more people that are, have this amazing talent to be able to sing, maybe not as many that can come up with all these character voices and be a voice actor. So you know, the Wikipedia, I've got a Wikipedia page, an IMDb page. I didn't even know I had years ago. My friend Dan's like, you're famous. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just doing some voices. And he's like, no, 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 no. Look, can you show me on this, all this stuff that's on the internet? And I was just like, wow, I had no idea. And even now, I mean, I haven't even voiced anything from that show, the show Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT since like 2008. And here we are at 2020. And so there's this resurgence. And I think there was an anniversary I don't know if it was the 20th or 25th anniversary of Dragon Ball Z. And um, so it's, it's, there's just been this crazy resurgence with the show and these convention appearances. And, you know, people bring their their pop toy, the little Funko Pop toys yeah. for us to sign. And they bring their Dragon Ball collection, their trading cards, their action figures. I mean, it's crazy. It's And their prints, people draw these fans. They draw amazing you know, portraits of their favorite characters from all kinds of anime. And so when I go to these conventions, I, I, I'm just amazed. And sometimes they'll draw one for me, for me as a gift. And I'm just like, what? This is crazy. This is awesome. So there's a lot of talent out there for, you know, in the artistic world. And being able get, to see that in person is really cool. Do you get overwhelmed by some fans? Because you know how some fans are like really out there, you know? Yeah. Well, I am too, <laughs> but it helps to be eccentric. And, you know, um, I have a lot of patience. I love people. I, I'll just, I mean, 
I'll, I'll let them talk and visit with them as long as possible. If there's a line, we have to move it along. If there's not, we talk as long and chat as long as they like. We get to be friends. I, I give out my information for my fan mail. If they, if somebody needs an autograph through the mail or a friend that couldn't make it. Um, and I get to hear stories about their favorite episodes, their favorite characters, how it impacted their life. You know, how they get up on Saturday mornings as a kid, voice of my childhood. I hear that a lot. And, uh, yeah, I, I like the FaceTime with the fans. That's, that's really, really gratifying to me. That's good. And I'll probably wrap up with this question, but uh, in regards to anti-bullying and suicide awareness, because I know you're a huge advocate for that. Do you just want to elaborate a little bit on that and how that came to be and some of the work mm -hmm. you've done? Yes. Um, what's near and dear to my heart is um, anti-bullying. Uh, myself, uh, I've endured a lot of that being um, moved from town to town, city to city, mostly small towns growing up. Uh, my parents split when I was six. And then when my mom remarried a year or so later, my stepdad uh, was administrator of a hospital. We moved every two to three years. And so, I mean, I think I counted like 16 times I moved from age four to 16, 17, something like that. I guess it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot. And it was um, right when I would kind of get when I was younger, it was not much, so much of a big deal. And you could, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of can make friends a, a little bit easier. And um, with each move, it just got harder and harder as, as I got older. But um, having to start over as a new girl, especially in a small town when um, you don't kind of fit in, like there's a big giant school with a lot of new people, then, you know, it's not so noticeable when you're the new girl, <laughs> like for the whole year. Um, it's hard, you know, I mean, I, I tended to get along better with, um, the younger folks seem to be, I don't know whether they just embraced me easier. I don't know what that was all about, but the, the ones that were my age, just, I think it was also that I was a singer, a dancer, an actress, and I immediately immersed myself into whatever programs were available, whether it be pom-pom dancing, um, theater, community theater, choir, show choir, anything I could get my hands on that involved show business, performing, entertaining, comedy, um, improv. And so being an out there, over the top, eccentric, creative or individual uh, came as a threat to some that I'd gone to school with, especially starting around sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, and then moving in high school was the worst. That was the, that was like, oh, what a, Moving the end of my junior year, when I'd already made my senior plans, already knew where I thought I was going to go to college, that one was by far the hardest, and that was um, very traumatic. And then another thing is, like, once you finally kind of start to fit in after a couple years, and people kind of like, okay, well, she's not going anywhere. She's going to stick. She's sticking around. And you start to kind of fit in, and people accept you. Then, boom, I had to move again. And it seemed like it was always in the middle of school. It was never in the summer. It was never convenient. And so now... Um, as much as that was painful growing up, um, it's been an asset to me in a way, in the sense that I have such a huge heart and compassion for people that are misfits or don't fit in, or they are bullied, or they're not, they feel like they're not accepted or, you know, what's going on underneath all of that, because that, you know, that's very, can be extremely painful. I mean, growing up is really hard anyway, but to be ripped from school and town to town and just not really know what your identity is, I think, uh, uh, having been staying put now from age 17 on now in my forties, um, I finally kind of have been finding out who I am, who I really am, who I want to be. 
And through my experience and my story and trials and tribulations, I know now that uh, when I lost my purpose there for several years, I now have found it. And that's to help others and be a um, an advocate for anti-bullying and um, doing nothing but encourage young people to um, embrace who they are and believe in themselves and know that they're worthy and that we're all created equal, you know? And um, so that's, it's been near and dear to my heart. I did an anti-bullying um, campaign with a friend of mine named Bo Carver. We had, he had a radio, st- a radio show that we did and we, we did that for several months and that was really cool. We had people calling in and we were um, trying to find ways that we could help with this problem. And, and, and now with the technology and social media, I mean, there's just, there's so many more avenues to bully people and hide behind mm-hmm. something, you know, not even reveal who they are. And, you know, when I was a kid, you know, people were fighting after school and, you know, it was getting punched in the stomach and for just no reason. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, so I'm a big advocate for that. And that and domestic violence, um, anytime I donate anything, it's either to domestic violence or um, women that are battered that have to start over and they don't have anything and they don't have clothes and they, they have children and they, can't make ends meet. And then another one with the anti-bullying as well as leukemia and lymphoma society. My mother passed away from complications of leukemia in 1999, shortly after I was cast as Gohan. And um, so I'm a big advocate for all of these things because I have a, a personal attachment to those, those crusades. Do you have a lot of fans that tell you about their stories? I do occasionally when there's, mm. when the, the line isn't long and there's time to spend, I do hear stories about, uh, you know, how the voice and the character help build their esteem, their self-esteem and in their dealings with, you know, everyday life, you know, school, you know, um, trying to get through hard times, trying to figure out who you are, you know, your puberty and trying to get a sense of your individualism. Um, so, yeah. And so I, I just want to exude nothing but positive energy, you know, and, and in everything I do, you know, um, if I'm feeling down or going through a lot, I don't like to burden anybody with that. I just uh, I think moving around a lot and having my mother in my life, as long as I did, helped instill a lot of the characteristics that um, were favorable as far as, you know, being generous, being kind, being accepting, nonjudgmental. Um, a lover of children, a lover of animals. Um, I was unable to have my own children. And uh, that was something that has been very difficult for me to embrace. Um, so I'm just like, what, you know, what's God and the universe have in store for me? And I'm ter- learning how now to kind of give it all over to that and just take moment by moment and exude nothing but encouragement and positive energy. And then everything just falls into place, you know, like these little miracles are everywhere if your eyes are open to them. Yeah. And so through my work and through these conventions and through, you know, whatever it is I'm doing and shining my light, uh, hopefully is shining light on others and helping them through hard times. You know, that's great. If if I can do that, touch one person's life and turn it around and wow, my work's done, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. If you even help one person, it's worth it. Right. Right. We have a, we have a big, big uh, bullying and suicide problem in New Zealand. It's really, really big. Um, I know for a fact when I was a teenager, I did a little stunt stint in a city called Dunedin for three months away from my family. And for some reason, I was bullied a lot, a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of days where I was crying. I'd call my dad back home and be like, oh, 
But like one of the only good things was coming home from school and watching Dragon Ball Z. And I know, and I know specifically during that stint, it was only three months, but it was the Cell Saga, and particularly the part, obviously, with Gohan. And uh, so that that particular point in the series is, I mean, I, I have this discussion with a lot of people and they think that's the highlight of the series anyway. But oh. that specific point, oh. uh, I have a lot of attachment to because that brought me a lot of joy during a lot of despair. So... Thank you for being such an amazing voice actress. You're welcome. That's great. <laughs> I love it. I love hearing that. That makes me feel like, I mean, you know, when, like I said, when, you know, behind the scenes, you know, the fans of the show and what, you know, whatever it is that people do, like a lot of people assume that, you know, we're sitting pretty and we're rich or we're always happy or we're not going through anything hard. And when we're just regular people too, and, we go through death and grief and loss and pain and suffering. And um, so it's just, you know, you have to deal with life on life's terms, no matter who you are, what you do. And so um, I know personally for myself, without going into too much detail, you know, after losing my mom and losing my shot at motherhood and my aunt died and the job at Windstar ended, I was this lead singer of this great band called the High Rollers at the Windstar World Casino. And there was just all these things that were happening kind of all at once. And then I kind of had to just kind of jump back, you know, get off social media, uh, analyze what I was going through, work through the grief, work through it, whether it be through counseling, um, self-help books, um, uh, tools online, different things to kind of get me through. And getting through the, all of those hard times and, and finding what your purpose really is, is really really, truly, honestly, it saved my life. Um, there was, there were times when that were the dark times when they set in and I just, I didn't even know what to do, what to do, or what, what or how to handle what was going on around me. And, you know, extremely high anxiety, um, which I had to come to terms with. I had crazy PTSD. I'm also a little ADHD, so I'm kind of all over the place. So I get disorganized and <laughs> distracted. And so I really had to kind of hone in on these issues and make sure that those don't cross over into my work so that I can make sure that I'm doing the be very best job at any job that's that's thrown my way. So, but having gone through that, I like I told you, I found a newfound purpose. And when I get out in front of the fans, it just, it's all completely revealed to me that I'm on the right path. You know, do the next right thing have integrity, you'll be able to sleep at night and live a good life and help others. Mm. I yeah. think that's a great mindset, great mentality, and I fully agree. Wonderful. Yeah, so if anyone wants to follow you, where can they follow you on social media? Okay, I have several platforms. Um, mainly, uh, I've been mainly working mostly lately with those, uh, Facebook. I've got a um, Stephanie Nadolny fan page. Um, I've got a Stephanie Nadolny voice actress page. I have Moonglass Band, Moonglass One Word Band. I'm hopefully going to start booking some shows, doing some live stuff there. Nice. Um, I have a fan email, and that is stephaniefanmail at gmail.com. So that's Stephanie, S T E P H A N I E F A N M A I L at gmail.com. So that's my fan mail. Uh, I can send autographs through the mail. I can answer your questions. I always answer everybody's emails. Um, I'm in on Instagram now at Stephanie Nadalny. That one I'm still learning how to navigate. I am on Twitter, but that's another one I need to learn how to navigate. And that's uh, Steph Box, S-T-E-P-H-V-O-X. And um, trying to think if there's anything else. 
right now, that's pretty much all I've got right now. So if anyone wants to reach out, I'm also going to be getting on Cameo soon where we can do live videos. I have a friend also, his name is Jose Mega Man. He's crazy awesome. Um, Linda and I have done some appearances with him and signed some pops for charity, which is crazy cool. Um, and then set up chats with people, uh, whether it be children or people that are suffering or they, um, we, we do some things like that for charity, which is very heartwarming. And so he's great. He's on my Facebook page as well. He's also set up some appearances around, around Dallas Fort Worth. So I'm hoping to keep on this track with the live appearances. I'm, I'm wanting to get back out and travel again, you know, all over the United States, come up, come back to New Zealand. Uh, I was able to go to England two years ago, February, 2018 with Linda, Linda Young and her husband came and we explored a little bit. It was freezing cold, but we had a total blast. So yeah. So thanks to Linda for hooking me up with you to be able to get this, make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you back here for yeah. sure. I'll, I'll make it happen somehow. I'll make it happen. Yeah. Cool. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I really, you're really welcome. much appreciate it. Uh, I know you must be a very busy lady. So uh, it's getting to be more so now, now that uh, things are kind of sort of coming full circle with this virus and, you know, the social distancing and people are kind of getting out a little bit more, but you still have to be careful. So yeah. I'm very grateful. It's, it's been great. I, I love people anyway. So no matter what I was, would do for a living, I'd have to be around people. So this, this year has been very difficult for me personally and for so many all over. So uh, let's just put the good energy out there and keep, keep the positivity going. Cause we all need it. Yeah. Yeah. Before you go, <laughs> can I just get you to say, um, thank, thank everyone in the Gohan voice. Hey everybody oh. in New Zealand and all over the world and all over the internet. This is Goku. And I'm going to be in the World Martial Arts Tournament. And I wish you all nothing but the best. And go on. Be tough. Stay tough. Be strong. Fight the good fight. Yeah. <laughs> Steph, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. That's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe and support Stephanie. And uh, that is the show. And stay safe. Love you guys. Woohoo!